This is Merkin and Bell with In Between Stations Radio. This is Merkin and Bell with In Between Stations Radio. Between Stations Radio from Flagstaff, Arizona, in the middle of the night. <laughs> If you can't sleep, turn on your shortwave radio and tune us in on 3731 kilohertz in the 80 meter band. Or if you want to go the American way, it's 7.135, something like that. You know, I never got the, I always go with the kilohertz, sorry, you know, um, you can go the other way, the American way, with the megahertz. <laughs> I like kilohertz personally, so, um, 37.31 kilohertz in the 80 meter band, we don't have a powerful radio station, although we're putting things together, we're, we have a new antenna we're putting up currently, uh, we have a new sound system to some degree. Um, what do you think, Mark? Is it is it working better? Maybe. <laughs> well, it's certainly better than what we have right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's not. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It, right. It's 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 an it's it's a vast improvement. So we're going to put that all together, and hopefully you might be able to to pick up our our signal. Um, we're there. So if you got that shortwave radio on it, you're tuning us in. We had a, a, a listener send us a video of them on their on their shortwave radio tuning us in kind of cool we didn't play the whole thing we just played part of it i put it on my facebook page and then we have a archive.org page we don't get a lot of traffic there it's kind of like a backup so if suddenly uh this is for the podcast not the shortwave live radio broadcast so uh if our soundcloud went down we'd always, we could back it up our 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 RSS feed, as they call it, for a podcast. We can back it up from there. And it's just a place to keep uh, keep our files of our podcast. We don't get a lot of traffic. In fact, it's not advertised. And that was one of the points I made with uh, SoundCloud is 
we have all these other podcasting sites where we're coming in from. So we don't have an accurate count. If you look down there and on uh, SoundCloud, you can see a little number, uh, and that's how many listens we get. Each time a new listener, a new listener listens, then it counts that. And we're up in the thousands. I think we have a couple episodes that are broadcast, excuse me, podcasts that are um, close to 2,000 hits now. And we've been going... and. Unfortunately, uh, one day I erased all our uh, podcasts. It was about three years ago, and I had to reload everything. And so I lost. We had three and four thousand hits on some of our uh, earlier um, episodes. I don't know if that means they're good because I think we had a lot of problems then, especially with the broadcast, and then didn't have much of a sound system and experimenting. I actually think the last six months, the last. Five or six uh, broadcasts. Not were, really. No? Well, anyway, that's according to yeah. you. Oh. <laughs> we're just uh, we're just getting it. We're just sort of starting to get in sync with each other, I and Murky, and get the songs on. And I doubt it. <laughs> okay, all right, Murky. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's, it's starting to flow a lot better now. And, I, and, I, and so we're hoping with this new boost in our, on our shortwave radio uh, output that you can maybe pick us up a little better. Um, it's kind of strange because sometimes people over in Europe and other places pick us up better than people that are like in the same town. Right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, if you're listening on a shortwave radio, cool. There's some uh, cool shortwave radios out there. Uh, if you have a... A good setup, you you might be able to pick us up, especially if there's a skip uh, and things are going good in the ionosphere. If you got a storm with clouds, uh, the radio waves skip a lot better when you have clouds. Uh, and when you have a, uh, it depends on the season and the time of the year, as I've said. Anyway, um, so if you can't sleep, uh, just lay back and enjoy the the broadcast uh, this morning. And uh, okay, you- fine, but it might also help to smoke a lot of reefer and hash. Okay, Marky. Just to yeah. make the radio show a bit more tolerable. <laughs> oh, Marky's always one up on me. Maybe. All right, so um, let's uh, let's play a song early, okay? Uh, oh, but we have some we have some difficulties, so we're gonna have to wait for a few minutes before we play a song. We're just gonna randomly pull out songs. Out of our 78 speed record collection. And uh, we're going to throw some of those in there and just not even, we're not even going to look. We're just going to close our eyes, right, Murky? Right. And we're going to put them on the turntable and you're going to get them live from our old 1918 um, wind up player. We got it set up so we can record it so you can hear how it actually would sound back in the day. You get the live, the live um, audio. The live analog sound. Big deal, right? Speak, you won't. 
if you're really aware of what of what's causing things to happen i mean obviously when you look at the quantum world there's a lot of stuff that we don't fully understand that's going on that makes this causative that makes other things happen these small insignificant things called atoms and protons and neutrons and you know whatever they're called they kind of um they kind of cause they're causative i mean you can you can blow up the entire world almost if you with just and manipulation of, of small things, nanotechnology now, which now, which may in the near future prove to be absolutely dangerous. Uh, this is what uh, some scientists are saying we better watch out for is uh, these little nanos that are um, 
atomic size that can be uh, run by these super batteries that can uh, move around and go inside of your brain and go inside your body and go inside of an ecosystem. And terrorists can have a heyday with these things and they can connect to each other and make these tremendously powerful uh, things happen. They can also, on the other hand, be really good. They can help us in surgery and mending the body and, and repairing ecosystems and even animals perhaps. And so, you know, there's the good and bad side of things, but nanotechnology is absolutely in some ways terrifying if it gets out of hand. So, um, so causative things can be small. I remember, um, I mean, they, and they can be underneath the surface. And in the Newtonian world, we, we have this linear way of things happening. And so we just kind of like come up with these, this, these reasons that are often cultural, that are often based in the way we understand our world, uh, based in our religion, our point of view. Um, this is why they happen. Even sometimes it goes far, you know, we, God did this or some, you know, that that's more in tune with the quantum world, maybe. There's these causative things going on that make larger things happen and uh, sometimes it can be prophetic i had a, a really powerful dream I, I guess someone somewhere in 2019 and, and trump was in it i awoke from a dream of him with this just this horrible loud pounding like on, a, on, a, on a met, my metal door i mean it woke me up from my sleep i could still kind of hear it and and, and i said to myself this is a warning. There's some, something's going to come. Of course, people are saying, well, that means, you know, Trump was the worst president we ever had. I'm not so sure about that. And I think later on, and I had other things happen, these fantastic dreams of these huge ravens would come and see me and had, like, warnings. And, you know, ravens are traditional warning birds, not only in the forest to other animals, but in indigenous society, uh, in particular Celtic society, uh, and, and with Greeks and other ancient societies, uh, the ravens and crows are warning birds. They, they tell you about things. The, the goddess, the Celtic goddess of death, uh, her hairbringers, however you say that, hairbringers, <laughs> are, are ravens and crows. And I'm sure they accompanied uh, massive slaughters and you know carnage. You know they're, they're birds that that uh, sort of help clean up those things. So. Anyway, uh, right, and so um, causative things, even when people fall in love, romance, what caused that? Why is it, you know, that's an unusual event of circumstances. How did you run into that person? Why did you fall in love with them? Why didn't your roommate fall in love with them? Why do you like the way they look? Other people think she's she's ugly, or you're ugly. Or, or why do you think this person is beautiful? Why does an insect or an animal find this uh, attraction or whatever happens there's all these strange things we don't always fully understand and we, you know, that's that's what in between stations is involved in is mysteries so one of the points i wanted to make here uh and i and i was kind of thinking about this is i um last night before i went to bed uh there was a, a big fight out on the street I, you know my street goes to the um the park here and we're close to railroad tracks and the major uh, thoroughway Highway 66, which these days should be a freeway. It has more traffic sometimes on it than the freeway does. I-40, which isn't too far from Highway 66. Um, anyway, there's a lot of traffic that comes uh, late at night, and sometimes uh, 
these uh, street people will get in huge fights or people like uh, selling drugs and stuff. Yeah, it's a little town, but that stuff still goes on. And the park close to my house is, is notorious for that. It's probably Flagstaff's most notorious park just because it's so close to things and far away from the police station. The police are always there. And so there's a big fight happening. I don't. It could have been a marriage thing. I don't know. We have a we have a couple a couple of couples on the street that don't get along, get fights. But it sounded like guys. So there's a really weird energy there. And of course, my dog Gunner's in here, and he just stands up and he wants to go out there and find out what's going on. And if it's a problem, he's gonna make. He's gonna he's gonna be a problem for them. It's like get off my property, get away from my 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 family here. But I had to hold Gunner back. So anyway, after it quieted down. I took Gunner and we got in my, uh, we got in my car, you know, cause he's, he stays also at my former wife's house. He's just, this, everyone loves Gunner. Gunner's not only beautiful and handsome and smart, but he's, he's greatly loved because he's the most faithful, funny, entertaining dog you've ever seen. And so he has a huge following. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I live on what's called East Flagstaff and, uh, as soon as I pull out, this other car just pulls out of the street in front, you know, my street, just pulls out without even looking at me and pulls out in front of me. I and mean, this is, didn't even look. And I, and I just about ran into him. I had to really slam on the brakes. I didn't honk the horn. I just, I was a little mad. You know, it's like, come on, guy, look in your mirror. It's like, uh, it's 10 o'clock at night. So, uh, okay, I don't want to cause any trouble. So we go up the street and that guy disappears he's, he's going quite fast which is not as surprising so I, I pull out on the next main street which is called cedar and uh, um, then this other car uh, misses the stop sign doesn't stop it's a four-way stop and and just almost runs into me again so here it is a second time and this time I'm like I'm like is something going on here? Because I'm I'm driving, I think, pretty safe, pretty cautiously. So what are you gonna do? So um, I go, you know, I stop at another four-way stop and stop at a stoplight, and then the, the bigger stoplight before it goes up this place we call Cedar Hill, which is a pretty steep grade. When you pull up to this stop sign, stoplight, it's always like a race. So I always pull off in the slow lane, and um. So what are you gonna do? So I, I, I stopped at the stoplight and I pull, I pull off in the slow lane because I know I don't want to be in a race. I just want to get my dog home. And, and this, this car with its brights on pulls in behind me and so leaves the passing lane open at the, you know, at the intersection stoplight. And so he's behind me and he's revving up his engine. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so I, I'm like, I don't want to be in a race, but it looks like I'm going to have to be because this guy's on my tail. So um, I, I, I give it the gas. I have a pretty powerful engine, my little car. And uh, he has a more powerful engine than I have. And so uh, it's not doing any good. And he won't get out of the lane. And, and he's just on my tail. And he keeps revving up his car and, and, and flipping his lights on and off. I don't know what's going on because he could get in the passing lane and go around me. So I really give it gas. And this time he can't keep up. And it's a good thing. I just leave him in the dust. So I get up to the top of the hill, stop at the intersection. He still hasn't caught up to me. Good thing. And then I, uh, it turns, the light turns green, and I head down the hill. And another person, not even the same car, with one headlight, 
swerves around. I think he's drunk in front of me. You know, it's just this crazy stuff. This is all going on since I left my house at 10 o'clock. And, um, it, you know, it's just one thing after another. And finally, I, I pull into my former wife's house with, with, with Gunner. You know, Gunner, he gets, uh, he doesn't, he gets upset with cars. If a car is causing trouble or if it ro- roars, he sort of sees cars as like people or animals or something because he takes things <laughs> so he's been barking the whole time at his window at these cars and growling and uh, he, he understands there's something going on here so anyway we pull in i park at my uh, former wife's house to drop gunner off there because he's going to sleep with his longtime girlfriend freckles um, i get out and, and and there's yelling in a fight in the yard <laughs> across the street you know these college kids live in there and i'm like you know and then gunner's like all tense and he's like all right i've had it with this too and so he's gonna bark i'm like better don't bark you know and, and so yeah this just and 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 I'll, not to make this story long and after i drop him off and you know say thank you and, and good night i get back in my car and I drive home and, and more weird things happen so what what is that is that some kind of karma well i mean how could you predict that mathematically? Because you know, on all the times I, I, I take him home, I haven't, I don't usually run into anything like that. In fact, I never have. Not that, not the frequency of so many events. And and it, it is a, it, it is a full moon. What was that? It or or was there some positive thing underneath in the quantum world that caused all that to happen? And you know, I'm sure somebody could explain it away in some rational thing. But what caused that? sort of synchronicity to take place. So thoughts on things that we don't fully understand. And maybe at the end of this broadcast, maybe that's how we'll end it. I don't know. Okay, moving on in this early morning hour. The stars are still outside. and 10 o'clock is way back there now. I actually went to sleep for a while and woke back up to do the, the, you know, the radio show. So um, I am and murky and so um yeah let's, let's 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 move on out I uh, sorry um, I got this really weird infection from uh, from a cut or a scrape I got on a run I fell down not too bad because I run off the trail and off the trail uh, up here in the forest are beautiful and sometimes you have two and three feet four feet of pine needles over centuries sometimes and these are wet and they have uh, 
have mycelium while we throw them and they're just spongy beautiful and, and don't cause fires I know people rake up their pine leaves and all that stuff, and I don't know how I feel about that. These forests are thousands, tens of thousands of years, some of them, and the pine needles have been falling a long time, and they go through their cycle, their process, and fire is one of the things built into that. Okay, well, so I fell down and got this scrape, this uh, this wound, and it looked, you know, it, it bled a little bit, and I had some... Uh, bandaging with me and I carry a uh, plant medication tobacco and other things you know t tobacco leaf and uh, let's see osha root or hanapi as Hopis call it and so I, I, I did all that put it on the cut um, bandage it up and then I ran home it wasn't that bad well it kept getting worse and worse I couldn't heal it with anything I mean just I tried everything it's, and I, it just wouldn't it would come and go, and it, it got worse and worse. And so um, I went to the doctor, and the doctor's like, well, you have a yeast infection. I'm like, a yeast infection? Men get yeast infections? He's like, yeah, they do all the time. He said, in this cut, you have a yeast infection. I'm like, wow, what do I do? Is that normal? He said, well, he said, it's not abnormal. So he gave me this, uh, this medication that's especially for yeast infection. The name skips me. If I had it with me, I could probably tell you what it is. If you had yeast infections before. I won't comment on that stupid statement. <laughs> You're not going to comment, right. Murky? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, in my experience, most men are big babies. You know, big wimps. When it comes to such things... That us women have had to put up with our entire lives. Men are men are wimps. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's see. Let me. I, I'm trying to remember what the name of this uh, this prescription because I don't. I rarely ever take prescription medications. I haven't in five or six years. So they gave me this uh, medication, fluconazole. I think it's called uh, for treating uh, yeast infection and some cream with monostat in it I can't remember uh, and and to use those too uh, and so I went through a cycle of about a month uh, 150 milligrams each week so it, it I took it and it, it wasn't much of a side effect and and then it uh, it sort of um, it, it 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 fixed it everything was okay for a couple of days into the first week and then it came back worse than before and I was like oh what 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 is this stuff uh, and and so I and it kept doing this all through the four weeks I was taking uh, this stuff and it, it wasn't working so I went back to the you know the clinic to the doctor and said hey um, this is not working and he's like well maybe we should increase the dosage and I said well you know I used to work in the lab at the hospital and um, can we just do a, a, a take a, a wound culture? He's like, oh yeah, sure. Let's let's, let's do a, a wound culture. So, um, so uh, he took a, a wound culture and, and put it in the, in, the, in the sterile bag and and sent it to the lab just to see if something weird was going on. So, oh, about four or five days later, I get this call like at nine p.m. It's from a, a Flagstaff FM, FMC, and I'm like, who's calling me up? So 
I answered it, and it's the doctor, and he's like, hey, I'm up here at the lab, uh, and this is another doctor who I didn't know. She, I didn't know her. She's like, um, what was that? She said, you know, your name is so-and-so. I said, yeah, your birthday, yeah. She said, well, why did they do this wound culture? And I told her, and she's like, well, in addition to yeast infection, you have staph infection. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah. She says it's naturally occurring in the skin, so th that could be what's going on here, but I don't think so. I think you got something a little more complex going on here. And then she's like, I'm going to give you this antibiotic. It's a new, uh, a new generation antibiotic with not too many side effects. You know, she asked me what I was allergic to, and I told her. And so she got this an a new antibiotic I hadn't heard of. She said, this is uh, specifically for uh, staph infection. Let's, let's see what happens. And then, she, of course, she asked me, um, how did the wound look? And, you know, I told her, and she's like, well, that sounds more like yeast infection. But she said, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of those two things. So, you know, she hung up and I, you know, went to the pharmacy and picked it up and I did some research and it turns out there's this brand new type of yeast infection in the last couple of years that combines itself with staph. You know, staph infection is pretty serious stuff. It, it can kill you, especially it, it, it's progressive. It's, it, it seemed, you know, these, these, uh, these viruses and these infections, uh, especially bacteria, seem to have some kind of intelligence because they're learning. They're constantly progressing and growing. You know, evolution is working with these things for sure because they seem to be getting smarter and the, and the more kinds of medications we use, the stronger they get. And so some strains of staph infection like MRSA are resistant, totally resistant to any kind of medications. In fact, they can actually kill you. They're so powerful and, 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 and not in a, in a short amount of time. You can die in two or three days from these kinds of staph infections. It's that powerful. I've seen people come into the hospital when I was working there. Uh, and within 24 hours, they're in the ICU. I mean, they come in with MRSA. They test positive with MRSA staph infection. And, you know, the, the, the med techs find it. And then we give them the medication. And it starts out as this little boil. And then it just it just turns into this horrible wound. And they can't stop it. They try to clean it out. They try to give you all kinds of medications. It gets worse. So this guy came in, had a little boil on, his, on the inside of his leg. Uh, and, and I came back the next day. He's in ICU. Uh, and not doing well, and this wound is, I, you know, because I, I, I go in there and draw blood uh, from from him. You know, I have the, I have an insulated suit on, much like a chemical suit I wore. So it's made of paper, and you're in a negative pressure environment. So, excuse me. But when you go in the ICU unit to draw the blood, and there's all kinds of the whole process you go through, and uh, so he was in there not doing well on life support, kind of. Uh, not conscious, and then I came back the next day, and he did. He's dead. He died in three days. He's dead. That's how powerful some of these forms of MRSA, these staph infections, are. Highly, highly dangerous, and they they've got progressive over the years because we treat everything with antibiotics, with these medications, and this stuff learns. And uh, you know, I I I, just, I don't take antibiotics. Like the last time I take, took out antibiotics was I just don't take pharmaceuticals hardly at all. So. Um, and I did research, and it's this new kind of yeast infection that's just a super yeast infection. It has, it has staph in there, and it combines, and it, and it, uh, and it just seems to resi be resistant to everything. So this is a new kind of uh, antibiotic that just came out, and, so, and it, seems to be, it seems to work real well. Okay, let's move out of the, the so you got your grossness for the, <laughs> now, now you really can't sleep. I'm just like, well. 
What if I get MRSA? So, you know, having been trained medically, been the medical t- profession, I was 10 years in the Army as a medic. Uh, before that, uh, I worked in, uh, I was a nurse's aide, you know, when I just got out of college trying to earn money. So I, I worked in the medical profession. And then, you know, I worked as a laboratory assistant and mostly worked in the emergency room. I talk about that a lot because I developed a real good technique for drawing blood. I could just about draw on anybody, including newborns, and just as something I could do well. And so I was often called to go into these uh, really serious traumas in the emergency room and get blood draws. So uh, over 10 years in the medical profession, and uh, I don't know, it's just, it, it's, hospitals kind of scare me. There's forms of MRSA floating around in there that pe- people actually come into the hospital and get MRSA. They've never had it before. They get this this really severe form of MRSA that somehow is in the hospital. You know, hospitals are really sterile environments. Negative air pre- uh, flow of air pressure in the surgery rooms. I mean, these guys, they're pretty thorough. I, I, I worked in a hospital. You talk about clean. Oh, man. Uh, in, in spite of all that, you're still getting all these things going on. So it's I, I don't go to hospitals or doctors any more than I have to. And I this is the first time, really, I've had to in over 10 years, 12 years, you know, actually 13 years, that I, I've not used natural plants to help, to help me out. Maybe I didn't know enough, uh, and, I, and I still use some forms of, of cleansing. And so I, I don't know if this broadcast, <laughs> I don't know where this is going. So maybe it's, it's wise sometimes to combine both things, combine the, the newest science and also what you know with, with plant medications with 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 different herbs and you know tribes have been using these things for tens of thousands of years and uh, we they know a lot and so knowing that can be really helpful i i think it's moving between those the back and forth like a pendulum you know it's like a andrew weil a, a past student of richard evan schultes he has some brilliant students writers doctors uh, explorers Ethnobotanist. This guy has produced amazing geniuses in the in in the natural world, uh, scientists and writers. So Andrew Weil, who's an amazing doctor, uh, kind of does things his own way. He's he always talks about this sort of this balance between the world of science and the world and the natural world and indigenous knowledge of medicines. And I think it's it's kind of it's kind of what you're up you're up against these days. And I my suggestion is is to use things naturally as much as you can but there may be points you arrive at where you've got to use um modern science come on folks i mean it's there it's available i mean things in the middle ages didn't go too well something as simple as the black death now we look back and it's it's an it's a problem easily solved now um so it and you know childbirth and and cancer rates have went way way down and um, so there's some good things in science too. Anyway, let's move on because <laughs> that's really not what in between stations is about, right? You ready for a song, Murky? Yeah. There goes the train. I know you guys can't hear it, but we can. <laughs> the clock is a third member of in between stations radio uh, people, and we're going to include the train as the fourth member. The train that you probably don't hear as much as we do, no matter what we do. So now we're going to a song that Murky, you can't look Murky. No matter, because I'm watching the big flying saucer land outside our studio window right now. Oh, you're watching the UFO at the window? Hey, a flying saucer's landing. (laughs) 
You ready to play the song? Yeah. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Sweet Marijuana, Marijuana, <laughs> by Dave Harmon and his orchestra from a 1934 pre-code movie, Murder at the Vanities. 
When you say pre-code, that means there was no censorship. Uh, I mean, there's no pornography in these movies, but there's a lot of, be- like I like to say, beautiful nudity of both men and women, and uh, especially women. You, you like that, Murky? You live a pre-code life? So it got a little out of hand. If, if you watch pre-code uh, movies, um, it it's almost complete nudity and and then also the sexuality is um it's pretty pretty risque especially for the time period it's uh they're not leaving a lot of things to being guessed about fully nude um, movies with a few cocktails and party wafers on the side is you, just fine with me <laughs> that's how real life is <laughs> i mean i pretty much live an uncensored life anyway only there's a lot of guessing yeah. i like the bare naked necessities with an occasional surprise thrown in under the blankets <laughs> Okay, so pre-code's beautiful for me. I, I'm a huge uh, uh, um, auteurs person. I watch lots of films, uh, silent movies, um, big band era, World War Two, World War One. I. I watch a lot of foreign movies. Um, I'm a huge moviegoer. Yes, people are smoking marijuana back in those days. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to remember when it got illegal. I think at first it wasn't illegal. A lot of people, in fact, the the star in this uh, movie that's I and it's, it, it skips around who sang the song. She said she didn't know it was actually marijuana she was swing, singing about. She thought marijuana was uh, a cooking oil. <laughs> I'll bet she knew what it was. You know, and and as I said before, marijuana hash is an indigenous plant that comes from Afghanistan, the Middle East. It's a, it's been used in sacred ceremonies for thousands of years. We just demented it. Uh, and use it, you know, for money. But it's it's actually used in very uh, strict contexts, pre-Islamic and uh, after Islam. And so um, we just, like we do with everything else, we turn it into, uh, we, we took the really the most powerful alkaloids out and made it as strong as we could, you know, so strong that you're, you're absolutely stone stupid. So it's interesting, um, this song, so it, it got kind of a negative... During Prohibition, marijuana and, and, and cocaine, these things sort of got really negative connotations because of their addiction factors. And you know, this is where we started coming up with this term, drugs, uh, which is kind of a bullshit term. Sorry. <laughs> you know, because there's all this. It's loaded. And we can make this legal. And when we make it illegal, I mean, when we make this illegal, then we, you know, crime center can, can make billions of dollars off of it. So um, I'm going to play this other song. I, I'm trying to remember the the artist that, that does this uh, a short time afterward, d- did the same song. Uh, hold on here. Julia Lee, uh, just a, an amazing uh, singer. I think she cut the song the first time using uh, the scent, although it was not marijuana. <laughs> was just weed or marijuana so she uses marijuana and uh you know what i just realized um that the first song is done by a man (laughs) so i'm getting these i'm getting things mixed up here um uh you know he had a sombrero on and stuff and he's singing this song but the woman in the uh, murder at the vanities talk talks about the the when they did this song and that there's sort of this kind of um uh she didn't know what was going on because she's just like, well, so you use drugs? You're promoting drugs in that movie? 
Well, it was pre-code, but you're still promoting drugs. The war on drugs, terrorism, all these terms that the, that the state uses to, to launch its war on, on other places. You know, half the war in Afghanistan was around opium which is another sacred plant that we, you know, you extract the alkaloid out and you make heroin. So it's totally addicting. Opium was, you used it carefully. You used it in ceremonies. You used it prayerfully and when you're fasting. And, and there's, there's all these things that originally the, the, the indigenous people, the tribes used it in the right way. And of course, you know, we went in and, and the Chinese and our people started to use opium because they could make money from it. They could sell women into prostitution because you get addicted to opium. Hey, let's make it stronger, so let's extract the purest form of it. And let's make heroin. Let's make heroin so everyone can be totally addicted. I had a friend that told me, he traveled up in China. He was one of these guys that uh, walked uh, for thousands of miles. He went to India, Tibet, and he walked the whole time. And he said you could go to these uh, opium houses and smoke this stuff. And he said it's the most incredible high you'll ever have. It just relaxes you in such a way that all you care about is having is having your hash, hash having your opium pipe and smoking. He said it was the hardest addiction he ever had to to, to kick. People say cigarettes are harder than uh, than uh, opium. He said no way. He's had both both problems, and he said opium was the hardest addiction he ever had to to kick. And that's what he did when he when he would travel as he'd go to these opium houses. I don't I don't think they're there anymore. Maybe they are, I don't know. But the war on drugs, you know, we a lot of the stuff that the CIA was involved in having ownership on these opium fields. I mean opiums are used in pharmaceuticals. I mean and they're painkillers. So there's good things there. But it's there's a there's some really dirty some dirty laundry there with our own CIA and with the Russian government as well and trying to get in I think mixed up in the opium trade drugs so back to the song so we're going to play this next uh this next song with it has the same title just called marijuana it's good it's a nicer version i think it got a little popular and then of course the government slammed it down and said no listen this song's about drugs um, and so she got kind of a, a negative uh and they, people, you know, the government gave a negative view of her song, and so people would, wouldn't buy it, and so she thought she ought to change the title. So let's just play this song that, that she did. It's quite a, a, a beautiful version. Julia Lee. And a little time later, after the 1930s, she cuts this uh, same song and sings it, I think, much more beautiful. So let's let's play that, and then we'll come back. With your caress Sweet marijuana Marijuana Help me In my distress Sweet marijuana Please do Now you alone can bring my lover back to me Even though I know it's just a fantasy 
me clear out Sweet marijuana was just telling me that that was released in 1945 and caused some problems. It was actually quite popular. But, of course, the government's starting to zero in on the McCarthy era, where everybody gets super paranoid and goes far right, and legality has become quite a powerful thing. If you've seen the new movie Oppenheimer, I went and seen it, it totally blew me away. It goes into that whole problem with the McCarthy era, where they, they really took this amazing genius that became this sort of international figure and just shut him down because he he, he wanted to stop nuclear proliferation. He, he just didn't really understand the burden of the atomic bomb. And so that's a really good movie for, for several reasons. Uh, but right around 1945, um, Julia Lee cut this song, and, and it was popular, but it caused a lot of problems um, because this is a drug, you know. We already talked about the drugs. <laughs> So the next year in 19... Is it 1946, Murky? Yeah? Uh, she cut the song and changed the title to Blue Lotus, which I, I just think is my favorite version. And um, we're going to play that now. So this is a year later, I believe in 1946. Uh, Julie, Julia Lee does this... this masterpiece, The Blue Lotus. And I think, I think they got the name right. If you listen to the lyrics... It's, it's, it's about loneliness. It's about having a really tough time and just trying to sort of find something that'll, that'll help you out a little bit. You know, maybe a failed relationship. Maybe someone died like my girlfriend he did last year. Maybe you just need anything to help you, to stop you from being sad, to pick you up a little bit. And, of course, uh, marijuana is 
I guess, kind of good at that. I have allergies with marijuana, so it doesn't help me out at all. It just makes me super paranoid and sick. So um, it doesn't work for me, but I guess some of my friends, it's it's kind of a miracle thing for them. And they have, actually have prescriptions now um, for for it. So we've got changed to the Blue Lotus, and I'll talk a little more about what the Blue Lotus is. Uh, and I, I think this is her masterpiece, and I think it's much better than the first two. And I think it goes a little further on where this whole radio show today is kind of going like most of my shows. We're going to talk a little bit about hallucinogenics. And certainly the Blue Lotus uh, is a hallucinogenic. Not, I, don't, I don't really place marijuana, maybe hash to some degree, in the hallucinogenics uh, category. It just it isn't, it isn't the same thing. Uh, so, um, okay, let's play this amazing song and, and, and then think about the, the sadness in here and the beauty and just wanting to find some way out of, uh, of a situation that's just making you really, really blue. And this woman could sing the blues. Okay, so here we go with the Blue Lotus. Oh, Murky just reminded me that I had the... Well, maybe <laughs> stupid. You need to smoke some reefer to get your music titles right. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Right. So, so what's the title? What's the proper Lotus title, Lotus Blossom Murky? by Julia Lee, 1946. Yeah, the Lotus Blossom. Actually, the Lotus Blo Blossom will lead us into this discussion, a short one, I hope. You do too, Murky. About the Blue Lotus, the actual plant that I used that... It's kind of rare now, but it, 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 grew, it grew, it proliferates on the Nile River. It's a part of ancient Egyptian culture and used in the, in the process that deals with life after death. Okay, so here we go with the, uh, the Lotus Blossom, 1946, Julia Lee. Help me. 
So, um, <clears throat> you like, uh, you like the reefer, huh, Murky? <laughs> Maybe. Sometimes? Oh, yeah, okay. I, you know, we're, we're having fun. Um, uh, but I don't smoke you, pot anymore now. You quit? Yeah. Wow, why? It was making me a little too paranoid and spaced out. Oh. But I can quit anytime you, I like, so I might start up again tonight. You think you'll start up again? Probably tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, murky. So that was a great song. Uh, I mean, I Julia Lee just, I think it's, it's, it's a masterpiece. Piece. In fact, I think it's considered one of the blues masterpieces of that time period, 1946, just on the you know on the edges of the McCarthy era, where everybody goes crazy and this whole communism thing and this you know it's conspiracy and you know, it's it's kind of nutty. Uh, some early artists got a member of the of the Communist Party because it was seen as a an alternative to things before it became you know so so negative. Even Char Charlie Chaplin was involved for a while in the Communist Party because it was seen as a, you know, as a, as a you know, in, in sort of ideal situation is, is helping poor people out, uh, getting past being greedy, you know, which capitalism can do, and and sort of opening up the, you know, we, there, there's, you can argue the social programs and capitalism, you know, there's all these political parties and they go there today, but some of these people, uh, they weren't communists. They just I think even uh, it's talked about in the Oppenheimer movie. And of course, you know, he dropped that, but he was in love with a, a woman. I think even his, wasn't his wife, and then also his wife, who, who he loved too. <laughs> um, they were both in the kinds Maybe they smoked a marijuana, <laughs> you know, and became Senorita Intelligente. The more I smoke the marijuana, the smarter I get. I have a friend that always tells me that. I swear to God, it gets more stupid. Nuts. <laughs> okay, the blue what uh, lotus blossom. I guess some people refer to marijuana in a polite way as a lotus blossom, but I, I, I don't know. Um, the blue lotus is a very interesting plant, and it can be. Uh, there's there's actually some uh, a whole documentary on on a group of uh, scholars. Uh, learned people that decided to see if the if the blue lotus was indeed hallucinogenic and they show in this in this video it's about an hour long that yeah it does it does alter your perception of things of course when the ancient egyptians used it they may have been using lots of other different kinds of plants and you know this culture was around three thousand years so they knew how to do their plant things like like they did in the amazon like they did in these big powerful tribes in africa like they did in the Americas, um, they knew how to they knew how to, to use this, and and probably mixed it with different plants. One of the things coming coming now, uh, looking at scholars are looking at now, and some some Egyptologists is the use of the mushroom, the hallucinogenic mushroom, which may have been prevalent in uh, in ancient Egypt, especially uh, in reference to uh, Book of the Dead. Now, when you read Book of the Dead, uh, there's some powerful stuff going on there. This is not a normal. You know, a uh, funeral thing. This is a very complex. Uh, you go there. You go into the land of death, and it shows you the things you need to do, and and, and this sort of uh, direction you need to follow. And there's guides there, and you need. And there's also uh, entities out to destroy you. This, is, you know, it's comparable to some degree to the Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, but there's vast differences because you're going to get your body. Your body is really important. Uh, 
preserving the body because uh, it's going to be regenerated in the next world. Now, the, the Egyptians didn't think that body in that mummy was was what you know was going to last forever. They knew it would be regenerated in the next world where you could eat and do some of the same things you do here. Kind of like a lot of indigenous tribes like the Hopis believe that you're doing the same things in the next world that you do here, although things are in the reverse. It's summer here, it's winter there. But they're busy. They're they're working, and, and it's, it's 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 a beautiful place. And so, um, and that's the, the land of reeds in the Egyptian Book of the Dead is, is about that. But you have to you have to pass all the tests to get there. And everything I've read, uh, dying is extremely difficult. Uh, and there's because you don't have your body, and there's this disorientation. There's all these uh, entities there that's going to stop you or, or slow you down. Uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead, you have Bardot, I've talked about that before. Supposedly it lasts 49 days, but those 49 days can last hundreds if not thousands of years if you get preoccupied, because time is relative. So you can keep living your life over and over, you know, being born and dying, being born over and over. You're just trapped in this place because you don't want to accept the fact that you're dead and move on to your to your next uh to your next body, to your next reincarnation, which is a it's, it's, it's a progressive state until you become enlightened, until you until you grasp the great light. So um, a little little different in the Egyptian book of, of the dead because you have this whole process of this beautiful world that you're entitled to be in, and it's something that um, you have your heart weighed. You have to have a pure and good heart. I know Egyptologists joke around and say, well, no, you know, there's the negative. The so-called negative confessions and things like that. Well, you know, these guys really did do naughty things. They just don't want to be open about it. So the Book of the Dead was put together so uh, you could you could get past your your real life sins. I, I don't think so. I, I think these are these are were vastly spiritual people, and this is a discipline. It's 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 it's, it's a set of sacred scriptures to me. It's it's profound. I've read it several times, and then to actually read it in. Uh, in the Egyptian hieroglyphics uh, is is profound. Um, it's just I, I love the book. It's it's a frightening book. It's it's beautiful. The wording is you know the Egyptians were poets. They didn't speak in a sort of secular language. It wasn't a division between secular and everyday. Everything was considered sacred, especially if you're connected to the pharaoh. Later on in the dynasties, uh, common people got involved with the Book of the Dead, where it was an exclusive right of the Pharaoh, because the Pharaoh was considered a deity or a god. And we can talk about that another time. So uh, the Blue Lotus uh, was seen, uh, or at least the way they made this plant, is, is incredibly powerful. Um, it, it altered uh, reality. It, it enabled you to pass into the other world and have this experience you know, the saying that uh, Socrates, you have to learn to die while you're still alive if you want to be alive after you die. So the, you know, the Eleusinian Mysteries, to go to Eleusius, this fan, fascinating 2,000-year-old ceremony, the lesser and greater mystery, where in 2,000 years, no one, you know, it's, it's under the sentence of death, no one revealed the secrets of the Eleusinian Mysteries. And they were so powerful, you it changed your life entirely. It actually rivaled early Christianity. They had to shut it down because it was so powerful. The, the Christianized Roman emperor at the time said, hey, we got to shut this down. These guys are having visions and dreams uh, of such power they don't want to convert to Christianity. So people would come from all over the world, all classes, to be in this amazing process of, where uh, 
Demeter and Persephone uh, and this whole birthing process of, of, of life, of plants, of revegetation, re of, of things dying in the fall and the winter and being rebirthed in, in the springtime. And, and, and then these horrible droughts where everything would die and there would be no food and there would be no rain. And, and this is because um, you had to go through these rites. They're so powerful, no one ever revealed, as far as we know, maybe a little bit, never really revealed what happens in the, the, uh, these amazing, this 13 mile walk from Athens to Eleusia, to Eleusian, Eleusius, Eleusius. Uh, just amazingly beautiful. Uh, this, this, and then this end process where you actually acted out this whole sequence of Persephone being abducted by Hades or um, winter and fall coming into being and uh, everything dying and then the rebirthing process and not in of course being a part of that knowing that you don't die and that's why things like the Phaedra Plato was so so solid on saying hey folks we don't die and, and I've been through the great mysteries. I, I know this, and, and, and absolute conversion. No one ever said anything against the Eleusinian mysteries. They're so powerful, it totally changed your life forever. Even Roman emperors were totally changed. Even royalty and powerful people that went through this amazing vision drama, a rebirthing process, uh, were never ever the same. And you only need to do it once in your life. It's that it was that powerful. You're, you'll never be the you'll never be the same. So that, yeah, interesting stuff. But a part of that uh, was what we're seeing now. Probably was this powerful uh, wine, drink, or beer that was hallucinogenic, extremely hallucinogenic. Um, so the same uh, process that we uh, ergots from wheat grain. They knew how to use this, uh, which is used in making acid, LSD, um, and other hallucinogenics. They knew how to mix it, possibly. This hasn't been fully proven yet. Because, you know, again, I mentioned that you can go through the fasting process and, and the meditational process, like in Zazen and extreme meditation, you can go into these alternate states of being and have these experiences. And having had both kinds of experiences, the deep meditational experiences, the, the Zazen experience, uh, and then having the hallucinogenic experience, they're comparable. It's just one's a little, not easier, it's just more accessible. It takes a lot and a lot of discipline. Now you can combine the two, meditating and doing hallucinogenics. But what you what happens is you realize that there's a multiplicity of realities, that this is, this is only a limited perception of reality, this, the zeitgeist, this time period that you live in, the way you grew up, the body you're in, is just one of many manifestations of this life, this eternal life that you're living that goes on and you grow and you progress uh, and, and you learn. And that's, and that's why the body is seen as sacred. And this body you have and this experience you have, even if it's really painful, is seen as a, is a learning process that, that Plato, you know, Plato's Friends, when he was on the day he was, he had the state was going to uh, to to execute him, where he had to drink the hemlock. Um, his philosophical friends that came to be with him questioned, said, "Well, if you always talk about this ideal world, this 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 incredible, fantastic state of being, and you know the forms, then why don't you just, why don't we just kill ourselves and go there and save ourselves this horrible?" 
process of being alive and the pain that comes with it and all the difficulties that come with it. And, and Plato said, look, no, you, your, your body is a gift. This, this whole life is a beautiful experience for you to learn and to grow. And you gotta, you have to work through the process. You gotta, it, it's, it's an awakening of some sort. So, um, yeah. All right. So you want to? Murky wants to go to uh, another song, right? Murky. Is it, right. it going to be? Oh. <laughs> okay. I forgot about our random selection of seventy eights. All right, Murky. Let's do a drum roll, Murky. <laughs> Murky is going to. Oh, cool blindfold, Murky. <laughs> yeah, Murky is is very cute, a very beautiful woman, even with the blindfold. Thanks. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up. All right, Murky's going to reach into our little suitcase. I have this uh, suitcase from the 1920s that's full of all these cool. Uh, 78 speed records. Uh, some of them we have not played. We have a huge collection. So this is gonna. We're gonna reach into the to the uh, ones we haven't played. Also, Murky, you wanted. She wants to play uh, one of the 78 speed records that we did take out and play is actually an advertisement on the 78 speed record. You know, before cassettes, before digital um, relays, and. Um, they had to play uh they had to play a 78 speed record and so we we found murky found some uh, old ads on these little tiny cute 78 speed records so we're going to play uh one of those ads and then we're going to go to uh a surprise song right murky right <laughs> all right i love you too <laughs> even though you think i'm a dumb head you don't? <laughs> okay, uh, here we go. For it comes ready cooked, creamy cheese sauce and all. You simply heat and serve. And your folks are bound to like it. It's so delicious, so completely satisfying. Just tell your grocer tomorrow you want Franco, F-R-A-N-C-O, Franco American, the macaroni with cream sauce and cheese. Love I knew There'll come a day 
tell just what a pal can be Don't you know that love is not a game, dear Time will tell, then you will cry for me Well, that I think we, that that was what was the date date on that, Murky nineteen. What can you? Nineteen forty two. Nineteen forty two. January twentieth, nineteen forty two. Good job, Murky. Thanks, Bill Atcher and Bonnie Blue Eyes. Hmm. All right, and Time Will Tell was that song. We're going to close up things here. Uh, this is just part of our three-hour broadcast. Uh, if you're listening live, we're going to keep going uh, into the rest of our show. And um, we're just going to close out, you know, in between stations, so we got to be a little bit strange. Right, Murky? <laughs> yeah, I, I've used this example before, and... um. And I, I, I think I, I brought this up before when I was a boy, uh, and I've, I've told the story several different ways. When I was a boy, I, I, I you know, I had a, I had a couple of big spiders at our by our house, and my mom did not like killing spiders. She just, she kind of liked spiders. I mean, not not to bite her or anything, but she kind of had, she she didn't like it going out and intentionally killing anything. And spiders is one of those. We never had a lot of spiders. I mean, they didn't get out of control or anything. We had a couple of big ones. And um, I think this one might have been what's called a Gordon, a Gordon, a Gordon. Yes, Gordon the spider and his wife Frankie. Woo! Uh, so that's um, supposed to be funny, right? <laughs> shut up, <laughs> So this is a big spider, golden spider, I guess. And so, oh boy, I, I I took my pencil I brought home from from grade school. We didn't used to have backpacks. I'm trying to remember what we carried our books in back. You know, so the grade school wasn't that far up the road. Uh, Lakeview Elementary, because you could see the Great Salt Lake. This is in Brigham City. And I had a, a, a later girlfriend in high school that went to Lake Lakeview. And um, I always remember, I sort of, she was a year older than me. She's the only person I ever dated that was older than me. <laughs> I still loved her. And uh, uh, actually... Um, she died early in life. Uh, it's kind of a sad deal, but I, I kind of missed the boat with her. I always thought back then because I, I should ask her to marry me. She really loved me a lot, and I loved her. But you know, you're, you're pretty young, and you're in high school. So, um, Patty, Patty was her name. P A T T I. She was not. She ended up being an all-American golfer. She won all these awards. She was an extremely talented athlete. Very beautiful. Um, and anyway, I remember she was she was a year ahead of me. So I was in the fourth grade and she was in the fifth grade. 
and eventually would go to high school together later on down the road. So it was during uh, during this time period. So I, I came home one day and I, and I brought one of my pencils. I don't remember because I didn't have a backpack. I don't know. I got it home. And so I'm fiddling around with the with a pencil in the spider's web to see, well, how much does he notice me? Or she? Yeah, I think it would be a she. Oh, and golden orb spiders can be quite beautiful. This one was attractive as spiders go, but incredibly frightening, too. It's pretty big. Oh, and I'm probably frightening to her. You know, oh my God, it's a human. Ah, it's the most you know, frightening thing in the spider's world is humans. So I, I, I take my pencil out and I prick on her web, and she kind of like moves towards it slowly. Cautiously. And you know, spiders don't have moving eyes, at least not most spiders. Jumping spiders have eyes. I mean, that's another kind of spider. That is a highly intelligent spider. We can talk more about the Johnson jumping spider, which currently is starting to come out during the monsoon season. Amazing, amazing hunters. And they're kind of clown spiders. They're highly entertaining. Don't ever kill one if you see them. They get a lot of insects, but they're also extremely. Uh, entertaining and smart and uh if you know in the spider way so um yeah i'm, I'm pricking on her web she had quite, quite a substantial web and and with a pencil and of course she moved towards it because you know this is an intruder in her web. that's her home that's her her little house that she builds every day she has to work on that really hard if it comes apart you know and it does every day and so it's always a work for spider to keep the web intact you know we eat things we eat meat we eat animals you know we're we're predators too we, we and and you know half the animal world and the insect world's like that as well i mean we we kind of we're kind of all related so she to earn a living you know and to keep herself gone she has to like um build her web every day in, in the most amazing way and as a little boy i was fascinated by the spiders a big orb spider builds probably some of the most beautiful webs you've ever seen so I prick on her web, and 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 she noticed me, and then and then of course she got a little scared because it, it's, she didn't understand or seeing it wasn't something living, and so she moved away from it. And so it's just me as a little kid fiddling around with that, and 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 it goes back to this whole thing, and I, I mention this often, like how much could she know about my world, about jet airplanes. You know, speaking in terms now, computers, artificial intelligence, uh, and, and, and in turn, how much could I know about her? You know, indigenous tribes think spiders are, are amazing creatures. They're creators. They're principal deities. And they've been around for, you know, in the fossil record, millions of years. I think spiders and ants have the, the biggest, they've, they've survived two or three, one or two, at least a couple of mass extinctions, which Homo sapiens have not. Spiders can are survivors, and they're advanced enough to to be this old. And just, you know, spiders haven't changed that much since a long time ago. So there's something going on there. We don't, and and I haven't really talked about it before. But in the hallucinogenic world that I visited many times, uh, ayahuasca and yopo, uh, you run into these fantastic spider beings. They're like creators, eternal, different kinds of colors. They're actually beautiful, they're frightening, they're huge, they're cosmic, uh, and they live out there in, in the stars. They live in the shadows, they live in alternate realities. And a number of people have done uh, hallucinogenics, in particular um, ayahuasca, and Yopo and Bryola, and there's others, 
they come in contact, if not with a jaguar, with spider beams. And so it can be both frightening and, and amazing. Uh, my book, uh, Timelines with Sarah, talks about um, her experience with this amazing spider, Wapaki. Uh, it's a pretty amazing chapter, but it, it deals a bit with hallucinogenics, too. So, um, getting back to that, there's only so much we can know of each other's world. There's only so much she can know of my airplanes and the technology in my world and, and my agendas. And, and her seems more simplistic. I mean, she's survived for a long time. Uh, and, you know, I hope you speak about this. Getting too sophisticated, getting too progressive, thinking too much. This is why many of the Hopi tribes left uh, Mesoamerica, the great huge, which at the time were the greatest cities in the world, probably. Uh, Tenochtitlan built in the middle of this big, huge lake. It was this city of lights. Cortez was dumbfounded. He'd never seen a city like that. Um, the, the Hopis left this. And Teotihuacan, which was long, many hundreds, thousands of years, a thousand years or more before the Aztecan Empire, and they discovered uh, Teotihuacan. Well, the Hopis talk about leaving these amazing cities and their technology, running water and showers and, and fish, fresh fish and 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 heating elements, and actually having lights. We don't know what kind of lights. And, and, and this huge, powerful priest class that existed in these Mayan capitals and Aztecan capitals, and before that, the Almanac and the Toltecs. And Hopis talk about leaving that to become more humble, to, to realize that humility is one of the most important assets that human beings can have. And choosing the small group, these small clans, if not just one clan left, there and went out into the desert where it would be much harder to survive because humility was so important. And even in light of that, they still had problems in succeeding civilizations and worlds with this thing that man has where he's proud, boastful, uh, and um, sees him as very self-centered. So um, spiders seem to possess a humility that's allowed them on, and then a baseline a basic uh, understanding of life that's allowed them to survive, for God's sakes, cataclysmic uh, endings to the planet where 95% of life was wiped out by these huge asteroids. The spiders and ants survived that. Why? Why? How, how can a create and, and not once but twice? So spiders have something. Ants have something. And tribes recognize this. And it's a part of their cultures a part of their mythologies, to gain the wisdom of, of these things. I think that's one of the things that, uh, in Solomon's uh, wisdom. He mentioned spiders as being one of the wise animals on the earth. Uh, so, anyway, my thing is, is what's pricking on our web that we don't fully understand, that's so beyond us, out there, beyond our culture, beyond our time period, beyond how we've been raised, beyond our religion. What's out there that we don't have the ability to sense it, that we don't have the instruments to record that? There have been some scientists now starting to talk about the fact, and I think that one in particular, I can't remember his name, is saying, hey, there, there's a lot of life forms we don't understand or know about yet, simply because we don't have the instruments to detect them. I've mentioned this before. Have you ever listened to the story about the Civil War veteran? It's a famous horror story, The Damned Thing, by Am Ambrew, Ambrew Bias. Amazing. Listen to that. That's what I'm talking about. There may be things out there. 
you know, if you step on an ant or something you think is insignificant, I wouldn't do that. I, I try not to do that. But if you do, you don't have any idea what's coming. Bam, you're dead. So is, is the causative things of death more than just what we perceive? Is there some vastly cosmic huge being out there? Is there some predator that we don't fully understand? That that's the reason we really died. Not the disease, not the car accidents, but that's how we interpret it. Anyway, I think there's so much more that we don't understand. And we're stuck in a time period and we're stuck in a way of thinking and a culture. It has limitations. And when you look back, you see that. When you look back through history, you see these limitations that people had previously. And also advantages that they had. Speaking of humility and, and uh, um, ba sticking to basics. Maybe you can get too sophisticated. Maybe you can get too, think too much. Maybe you can get too involved in your culture, too involved in laws. What is out there that we don't sense or understand? And hallucinogenics is one of those things uh, that can open your mind quite quickly and quite powerfully and quite uncomfortably to a very complex and amazing, amazing universe that's beyond our normal everyday senses. What is out there? What's in your living room? What's in your bedroom you don't see? When you close your eyes and go to sleep, where do you go? What, what is out there? What's in there? All right, this is In Between Stations Radio. Murky has one more song to play for us, and then we're going to sign off the air. All right, good night or good morning, and we'll talk to you later. See you. Don't ask questions, just fire while I reload. Fire? At what? Straight ahead of you, where the grain is moving. Well, if you say so. Hugh, what are we doing? What is it? It's all over now, it's gone. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Oh, no. Poor Paul Sandy. Just look at him, ripped to pieces, as if he'd run into the blades of a, a, a of a threshing machine. But what did it? I, I didn't see anything. Well, you saw the movement, didn't you? And a sort of a sort of blurry outline of a shape. I saw the movement. Nothing else. So where are your eyes, Bill? It was there to see. You just had a look, and you'd have seen it. I think. What the? Devil, are you talking about you? Seen what? The thing. The damned thing. Oh, what? That's what I call it. The damned thing. First, it did away with my chickens, and then the pigs and the cattle. And now poor Sandy slashed to pieces. And that's not the end. Only the good Lord knows what the damned thing will destroy next. Or who?
is In Between Stations Radio. Thank you. 